0: Good morning. Oh, that was great. Yeah, well, as Andrew just mentioned, today we are starting a new summer sermon series. And my, my big hope, my, my big anticipation as we start this is that the series goes better than our weather has so far this summer. So uh, that's a pretty low bar to reach, though. So I think we'll do better than the weather thus far. But uh, as I mentioned, we are going to be talking about the parables of Jesus. Children and adults alike know the power of a story, where there's this combination of, of a compelling narrative put together with masterful delivery. And when those things match and they, they meet each other, it can have the power to, to capture a heart and, and to capture the mind of those who are listening to the point where it impacts a life. A story has the ability to motivate towards change, to, to spur on action within a person's life. And on many occasions, Jesus used parables these stories that brought the heavenly alongside the earthly as a primary teaching method. It was very, very common throughout the Gospels. In fact, there's, there's 30 parables recorded of, of Jesus alone. There's actually parables throughout the entire Bible, but most of them are found in the New Testament. Most of them are attributed to Jesus, and, and 30 of them in the Gospels alone. Interestingly enough, uh, none in the Gospel of John. We'll find those in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But for centuries, Jesus' followers have sought to to hear, to study, to apply these parables. Because they're not just pretty stories that, that make truths of the Bible easy to remember. They're not just these pretty stories. They have the ability to take something that is difficult, something that is hard to understand and comprehend, and bring it alongside something familiar to each of us. Something familiar such as, uh, quite often Jesus would use parables related to uh, to agriculture, to to gardening, to farming, things like that. Things that I I think most of us here, if not all of us, can actually relate to. This idea of planting, of putting things into the ground and and watching them to grow. I'm anticipating that in my own life right now, because as you know, we've recently purchased a new home. But because of this rain, we cannot get any landscaping done. So I'm eagerly anticipating putting grass in the ground (laughs) and seeing that grow and then having to cut it, I guess. But we'll figure that part out later (laughs) as as we finally get some grass taking place. In the absence of currently having a lawn, I've resorted myself to going to Home Depot and dreaming about my my lawn. So (laughs) we go to Home Depot and walk the aisles and I came across this one product um, that I, I had heard of before, but I never really stopped to read the label. And it's a product called Easy Seed. Ever seen Easy Seed? It's got a guarantee on the label. It says, guaranteed to grow grass anywhere. And if you look on the label, on some of the packaging, it shows that it's this, the mixture of mulch and fertilizer and seed that just kind of sprinkle out. And as long as you water it, as long as you keep looking after it, grass, grass will appear. And on the label, it has pictures of if you have a bare spot, sprinkle it on, grass. If you have some packed down hard dirt, you sprinkle it on, water it, care for it, You have grass. They even have a picture of a cinder block with easy seed on it, watered with grass. Now, this was encouraging to me because I'm not what you would call a person with a green thumb, right? I have killed cactuses before. We, yes, we have plastic plants in our home that are starting to wilt and go a little brown. (laughs) So this is encouraging to me. But the more I thought about it, I thought, who in the world is trying to grow grass on cinder blocks anyways, Like, is this really a strong marketing tool? Because that's actually the grass we're trying to get rid of, isn't it? The grass on our patio blocks, on our pavement. And that's why they created Roundup. Because then you just, and then the grass from your patio blocks, center blocks is removed. And then I connected the dots. Because there's a conspiracy here. Do you see it? Roundup, uh, Easy Seed, brought to you by the makers of Roundup. Because here's the problem. Once Roundup kills all the grass, there's no more grass, there's no more need to have Roundup. So Roundup, to keep the business cycle going, needs to create easy seed that grows grass anywhere to continue buying in the Roundup. Are you, am I on my own on this one? No. <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps. But as I was processing these things, I, I believe that this product can grow grass pretty much anywhere. But maybe not as easy as the label says. Because there are three things required to grow healthy lawns. You need to have sun, water, and good soil for that to take place. And I experienced this in the previous place that we lived at. We didn't have a large area of grass, but we had very diverse. It was a very multicultural grass that we had in this place we lived before. You see, there's the area where the lawn meets the road, and it was really hard and packed and dry, it, and nothing grew there every year. Every spring, I'd have to really work hard to tend to that area to get anything to grow in that hard-packed area. Over by where the steps were, it, it wasn't much more than really sand over there. Like there was dirt, you could get things to grow, but if I put a rake over it all, the roots of the grass or of the, of the weeds didn't even go very deep. I could just rake them very easily right out of not much more than sand. I had this other section that wasn't very green closer to the neighbor's place. I, it, sorry, it was green, but not because of the grass because he had an overgrown flower bed, and these weeds had just kind of moved into the lawn. So it looked nice, but under closer inspection, it actually wasn't that healthy. But then right in the middle, right in the middle of my grass, I I had this this healthy green area where if you feel the grass, it grew fast, and it was soft and cool to the touch. It was what we were looking for. If I tried to take a shovel and, and dig a shovel into it, there was a lot of resistance because of how thick and how healthy the roots were that grew in that section of the grass. Perhaps you can relate to this, to these different struggles with grass, these different soils, these, these different outcomes that come from different parts of planting in a lawn or in a garden. Well, folks, these are the things of parables. This is the the everyday regular stuff that Jesus used to take a heavenly principle and draw it alongside an earthly reality to help us understand the kingdom of God that he was calling people to be a part of. These are the things of parables. And taking a familiar situation such as that and using it for our ability to to teach a heavenly principle, today we're going to have a look at a particular parable found in the book of Mark in chapter 4. Feel free to to flip to that if you'd like to. Mark chapter 4. If you haven't got a Bible with you, you want to follow along, you can find one in the pew in front of you, and you'll find this on page 814. We see the parable here that Jesus told one day early on in his ministry. And it begins like this. It says, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he had to get into a boat. And he sat in it, and it went out into the lake. And while all the people were along the shore of the water's edge... He taught them many things by parables. And in his teachings, in these parables, in these teachings, he said this, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell onto the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked out the plants. So they did not bear any grain. Still others, though, fell onto good soil. It came up, it grew, it produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some even multiplying 100 times. Now picture this scene. Jesus begins to teach the crowds, which was starting to become a very common thing he was doing. The crowds were growing bigger and bigger. And this particular day, they grew so big and pressed in so hard that they're pushing him back further and further till his feet are wet because he's standing in the water. The solution to get separation between him and the crowd so he can address them properly is to get into a boat and to push out on the water because they're probably not going to swim out to where he is, and so he can create a bit of a gap so he can address them properly. And as he is in that boat, looking out upon the multitude that is gathered, and they're looking out upon this one single man in a boat teaching them, they have different perspectives as to who He is. There are people along the shore who look at Jesus, and there are some who are rather critical of who he is already. They're not sure about this guy. Is he dangerous? There's others who are curious. They can sense something is happening here and it's, it's intriguing to them. But they haven't gone much beyond curiosity. So they're there to listen. There are those who are captivated. They're not sure where this is all going to go. They're, they're not sure how they completely line up with all the things of Jesus quite yet. But they are already captivated by every word that he shares. And then there are those on the shore who are committed. They're already in. They they have committed their lives. They are all in. And they would be the ones to swim out when the time comes. But Jesus looks back at them as well. See, they look at him with different understandings of who he is already. But he looks back at them too. He looks at them who are standing upon the shore. And if we were to go back to to the original language of this text, when it says he looks upon those who are standing on the shore, that word for shore is the exact same word that's used for the word soil. See, Jesus stands in this boat and he looks at all these different people with different experiences, different hopes, fears, with different needs. He, He sees the different soils standing upon the soil as he teaches them one parable. That will address them all. Now later that evening, his disciples come and they're they're sitting around kind of debriefing the, the events of the day, I would guess, as they finish up for the evening. And as they sit around, they, they confess to Jesus, Jesus, we, we really didn't understand what you were talking about. And they ask him to explain this parable to them. And in the light of the, perhaps the flame of the fire that they're sitting around, as the light extends to heaven, Jesus allows heaven to come down. And he reveals to them a lesson about God's invitation to all people to become people and the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And he starts at the beginning to explain this parable. And he explains in verse 14, it says, The farmer sows the word. Now, he never identifies himself as the farmer. He never uses one of his famous I am the farmer, phrases here. He simply says, the farmer sows the word. The farmer sows the seed. Now, this provides a sense, really, that any of us, therefore, could be this farmer. Any of us could be people who are sowing seeds into different soils. And he defines this seed, here's the word of God, as God's truth revealed through the natural and through the specific revelation of the world around us. As we see God's beauty revealed through nature, as we just walk through this world, perhaps as you go camping or, or hiking this summer, you will see God's beauty revealed through the world around you. But also through, through specific revelation of himself through the scriptures, through the word of God that we have in, in the Bibles in front of you. And he continues to say that there's these soils that are basically different types of people who have varying results of when that that word is trying to take root into their lives. There's different results that happen based upon the soil that it's planted into. Because, you see, this is not primarily a parable about the sower. This is not primarily a parable even about the seed. This parable actually is about the soils. The parable of the soils is about how people receive the word of God into their lives. See, when a farmer goes out to sow seed, in those days in particular, there are these really hard-packed, worn paths between between the rows that they would plant. They would walk the same path, season after season. And as they walked along the path, they would reach into a bag and just throw seed. And they'd walk, and they would throw some more seed. And it would scatter through an area as they walked down these hard-established paths that allowed them for sowing seeds to either side, just, just scattering the seeds as they went. And not all that seed, therefore, fell to the same kind of ground. Some of it fell on places that were more fertile than others. Some of it fell upon ground that was more ready to receive the seed than others. And I I think we can understand that that's true of the people that we've encountered in our lives. Perhaps even true of, of different seasons in your own life. Where there's these times where perhaps you've tried to share the grace, the love, and the truth of Jesus Christ for another person. And it's received in different ways. To various results based upon how it's received. So Jesus explains at the first soil, he says, some people are like a seed that's scattered along a path and where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, the word that was sown in them. Now as you hear that description, you may think of a person in your life that you've encountered who when you tried to share, when you tried to, to share this seed, this word of God, it, it really wasn't the time of openness for them. They were not really open to the things of God, perhaps even a season in your own life, when you can think of a time when somebody tried to sow seed into your life, but it just kind of bounced off the surface like a basketball off of a pavement. There just was no ability for it to break through. But as Jesus describes here, Satan doesn't allow that seed time to take root. It's Satan that comes in and steals that away. And he steals it away because, think about this, if it wasn't dangerous, If the seed didn't have power, would Satan even bother with it? See, the fact that Satan comes in and takes it away before it has a chance to take root shows that that seed has power. That he is actually aware of the powerfulness and and he is fearful of that seed. Because as we know from nature, if you allow a seed to sit and be nurtured and grow, it has the power to break rocks. The seed is powerful, but Satan doesn't want it to take root. So as soon as that seed is planted, he swoops in and takes it away through, through lies, through deceptions, through, through hearts that have preconceived notions of what is and what is not true about God and about the world. Occasionally, Taylor Seminary holds these debates, and, and I like to go to them on occasion. And uh, one of the common people they have to debate is Randall Rouser, who we've had here before. And quite often he debates a well-known atheist, and, and it's in a situation that is structured, respectful. They have a back-and-forth dialogue as they present their their positions and uh, rebut each other. And after the presentation, they open it up for questions from the audience. Now, I'm always amazed at how an audience member can step forward after hearing very well-crafted, high-level, convincing arguments. An audience member can step forward and ask a question that just clearly reveals that when they walk through the door, they were already rock solid in their position. They were not there with any interest of allowing a seed even a chance to fall into the ground of their lives. There was no crack, there was no opening for that seed to be planted. Every word that was shared, no matter how compelling, no matter how true, was shared by those involved in the debate, it just bounced off the surface. Not an opportunity was there. Now maybe you know a person like that and you've given up sharing the Word of God with them. And I encourage you to not be discouraged and to not lose hope. Because keep sowing. The seed has power. The Word of God has power. And one day you might just find one that falls into a crack. And it gives a chance for God to nurture that, to grow it. And it can break apart that hard ground. Keep sowing the seed in that situation. There are others who are like a seed that is sown on rocky places. They hear the word and that once they receive it, they receive it with joy. But once they have, but since they have no root, it only lasts for a short time. You see, when trouble comes, when persecution comes along, because of the word, because of this word that they've received, they they tend to fall away. This is always the danger when somebody hears, receives a truth about Jesus' love and forgiveness for them. Say, I love the enthusiasm. I love the excitement of those who have been recently set free from the sin in their lives. These, these are exciting people to be around. It's one of the reasons I love doing the Alpha program. Because you see this energy and enthusiasm. It's, it's like they are surfing a wave and they are riding high with the wind in their hair and they are loving life. And nothing can stop them. But what do waves do? They crash. And eventually the day comes when that wave that they're riding high in the energy and the excitement, but then it, it crashes down. Why? Because becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, doesn't mean all of your problems go away. It doesn't mean we cease to live in the world. And suddenly there's this, this, uh, this aspect of when a wave crashes, if you've been at a West Edmonton wave pool or at a beach in Mexico and a wave hits you and crashes and it pulls you under, it's disorientating. It, it kind of makes you spin a bit and, and you're not sure which direction is up. Sometimes you're not sure if you're even going to survive because it just pulls you under and you need to come up for that breath. See, new believers go through a season like this where they they experience the joy of being free and the love of Christ and they ride that way, but then it crashes. And it's disorientating to them because they haven't had time for their roots to go deep. And in cases such as that, when it happens and they, they, they haven't had time for those roots to go deeper, even somebody who has been in the faith for a long time, but they've never really gotten into the deep end, they've never really allowed or invested in their spiritual growth to the point to have a deep rootedness, it leads to them becoming more like tumbleweed. That kind of dries up. And then the roots let go. And it just kind of blows away, as Jesus speaks of in this parable. See, they lack that rootedness. There was the initial joy. There was the initial vitality that allowed them to start growing. It was genuine. It was real. But it was not replenished. It it wasn't nurtured. It didn't allow the opportunity for roots to go deep, and so they let loose. See, it's critical that we come alongside those who are new to the faith. Those who are exploring the things of God for the first time. It's critical we come alongside them. It's critical we come alongside you to help you grow and establish those deep roots. Otherwise, we're vulnerable. Even those of us us who have been in the church for a long time, if we're not doing the things to get deep roots, we're vulnerable. We're just one tragedy, just one accident away from those roots shriveling and letting go. Shallow roots. There's a third type of soil he mentions here. Still others are like seed that is among thorns. They they hear the word. But the worries of this life, the the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for the things come in and they they, they choke the word. They they make it unfruitful. You know, it's really amazing how little weeds need to grow. You ever thought about that? Weeds do not need much to grow. Gardening would be so much easier if the goal was to grow weeds. Wouldn't it? We would all be master gardeners if the goal was, look at my weeds. You should see my backyard. You'd be like, you got a green thumb. Look at all the weeds. right? But no, we try and grow grass. We, we try and grow flowers. We invest time and effort and money and resources to, to get rid of the weeds and to grow the lawns, to grow the flowers. Those are beautiful. I'm not saying stop doing that. Your community will rebel against you if you quit doing that. But if you ever knows what happens, if you leave them unattended, if you don't care for it for a while, these these weeds come and they quickly take over without any effort at all. It's like that's the default setting for the land. The default setting for the land around us is weeds. And if we leave it unattended, that's, that's what's going to happen. If you want to have a nice lawn, if you want to have manicured flower beds, these beautiful things in our lives, it, it takes effort. Continual effort. It, it costs us something. But the purpose of this goes beyond just things looking nice. You see, we, we still... Are waiting for that landscape and take care of our backyard. So I had to go out and I had to take care of those weeds. Because the weeds in my backyard had grown so high, like I mean, they are high. And and they were so thick, the stems of them were so thick, it was actually blocking access to the backyard. When the guy came to do the landscaping, he wouldn't be able to access the backyard. Because they were left unattended. You see, these weeds can grow to a point in a person's life where they start to block access, they choke out any hope of life and vitality happening in there. I thought of an example of this this week, of this fishing village I heard of called Hutuan uh, in China. Now, back in the 1950s, there's a small fishing village, about 2,000 people, a bustling little, little fishing village. And about 2,000 people lived there. They, they worked there. Their kids grew up there and played there. They got married and had children there. They, they, they died there. They passed on crafts and arts and trades to their next generation there. But then something happened. The job started to dry up and and people started to leave. In the 1990s, it became virtually a ghost town as people went back to the bigger cities. And it was no longer accessible. It's no longer inhabitable because it's become unattended. And then the earth, the weeds have grown up over the buildings that, that all that it is good for now is people who want to go hiking for tourists who want to go see this, this place where nature has grown up and taken over the buildings. It's not habitable anymore. It's not accessible anymore. You can't walk through the front doors of these houses like you used to. You can't go into the shipyard like you used to because it's covered in weeds. They blocked off any sense of life, any sense of being inhabited, any sense of vitality in there again. Spiritual life can be the same way. We talk about how life is better with Jesus. It's certainly not easier with Jesus. Please don't hear us say that. This is not that. It's not easier with Jesus, but it is better with Jesus. But if a life that is left unattended, a life that allows temptation, that focuses upon the desires of this world, a life that allows those things to start to consume, to, to start to define a person's life, that will start to take over and choke out the life to the point where a once vibrant life, a once vibrant city, a life that once was fruitful and full of spiritual life suddenly gets choked out by the natural default settings of the world, which is towards the things of this world, which is towards temptation towards those pleasures. You see, folks, without digging in, without effort, without some cost, we will not grow spiritually because the weeds will come in and take over. So these are the three outcomes that were not intended by the sower. Remember the sower who's walking the path, throwing the, scattering the seed, and it falls on different paths? These are the three parts of soil. He doesn't want it to fall on, but but it does. He knows that's the inherent risk. But what's the goal of sowing? Like, like why does the sower sow? I think we know the answer. Like, like a sower sows, not not because he wants the seed to be stolen by the birds. He doesn't sow because he wants it to dry up and just blow away. He doesn't sow because he wants it to be choked out. The sower sows. You see, he knows that these things are happening. It's, It's the inherent risk of sowing. But why is he so? He sows because he knows there's a fourth type of soil, and he wants as much as possible to fall into that particular type of soil—a soil that brings joy and that brings purpose to the whole process, to the whole act of sowing. Because in verse twenty, Jesus says this: Others like seed sown on good soil—they they hear the word, they they accept it, and it produces a crop. Some some thirty. Pretty good crop. Some sixty—that's a newsworthy crop. Some a hundred times—that is an astounding, god-sized harvest. That can be sown. We've all—I think we've all experienced this. Either those of us who are gardeners, who know about going out each spring and getting our hands into the dirt, that that good soil, that to, to plant our gardens. But I think a lot of us also, even as children, we know what it's like to go to school, and and your teacher gives you that little cup and that bean, right, and you. You plant that bean in the cup and, and you just watch day after day as you little grow little bean plants. And then, and then Johnny comes running home a couple weeks later to show his mom, look at the plant I grew. I put the seed in the soil, I watered, I cared for it, and, and there's a shoot that came growing up. I think we all have kind of know that excitement of seeing that happen, the anticipation of waiting to see that start to grow. That's why the sower seeds. That's why the sower sowed. He does this because he wants the seed to grow, to produce healthy crops that he can harvest for himself and for those around him. That's why, we, that's why we have beautiful gardens in our backyards, so we can see these things. We can see the healthy produce of the effort. See, we know that good seed needs good soil. And good seed here is described as the word, the, the word is good seed. And that word is Jesus himself. We know from John 1, 1 where it says the word, the seed is the word. And in John 1 it says the word is is Jesus, Jesus himself. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. See, Jesus is that good seed. That's why that seed has power. That's why the parable isn't about, you know, there's different seeds in the bag. No, there's one powerful, almighty life-giving seed in the bag. It's not about the seed. It's about the soils, the receptivity of the soils that the seed falls upon. And when a person recognizes the seed is Jesus, that Jesus is God, and accepts that into their life, starts to follow in his way, starts to obey his instructions and his design for life, when Jesus is sown into that life and allowed to go deep, to take root, to grow, to produce new life in and through them. Then with excitement, with eagerness, the sower will then gather them together and take them home to be with him with the Father. So we know what the seed is. But did you notice that in this part of the parable, Jesus never tells us what makes good soil. Like he compares good soil to bad soil. He he describes the bad soil. See, you know, There's, there's these challenges of the world around us that define bad soil. He says, but don't, don't be that. We're looking for good soil. But he never actually tells us what good soil is. What makes good soil? Well, that's what I want to conclude today with. With giving you an understanding of what it looks like to provide a definition of good soil. So that when that seed is planted, or if that seed has been planted into your life, you'll know how to nurture it, to care for it. To allow it to continue to grow to a harvest of fruitfulness so that the sower can see the intended purpose of his sowing. And the key to understanding this lies in the idea of a word I've used a couple of times. And the word rootedness. Being rooted in Christ. Paul talks about this in, in the book of Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7, when he says and challenges the church in Colossae with this. He says, so then, just as you've received Jesus Christ as Lord, just as that seed has been planted in you, continue to live your lives in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See, first of all, just as that seed is sown into your life, that happened in each person here. Think about that. You're here for a reason. On occasion, people, I've run into this, people have literally stumbled in here with with sandals, you know, shorts and a Starbucks in the hand, going, huh, what's going on here? Not aware that that Sunday morning is when when church services meet. And and we welcome those people graciously, and that's that's awesome. But I don't think there's too many, if any, people here who just stumbled in here this morning. You came here for a reason, for a purpose, and I bet you, if I were to sit and chat with you for not more than 60 seconds, we could trace that story back to a time when somebody sowed a seed into your life. It may have taken root earlier. It may have taken some time. It may have been multiple attempts, but I bet you we could find somebody who was a sower in your life, and that is a catalyst to you being present in this place here today. So that's where it all begins. It begins with sowing these seeds in a person's life, but then allowing that sowing to take place, but knowing the different results. Paul tells us when we let it sink in, there's, there's three characteristics, three areas where we can focus our attention, where good soil can allow us to continue to live in the Word with the Lord and allow that to grow. The well, first one is where he says it's rooted. This rootedness is speaking of a past commitment, that that past sowing that had taken place, that has given present life within you. Rootedness speaks of something in the past that is continuing to happen in the present. You know, every time that I have the opportunity to to walk through a baptism preparation with somebody, it's amazing how often their story goes back to a time when I was in Sunday school, when, when I was at Bible camp. When I grew up in this home where I had this grandmother, this aunt, who who shared God's love with me. So often those stories, they they may not have taken root and and grown deep until later in life, but so many people have stories of going back to when somebody sowed a seed into their lives at that time. This is such a critical ministry in our church, our children's ministry, our programs to, to the families around us, the thousands of kids in the community around us. Such a critical ministry. To reach people at that time in life, that, that, that plant these seeds that grow into a person's heart later in life, in some cases. We need the moms and dads to understand the importance of your role in the home as the primary instructor of your children in the things of God. To plant those seeds within your homes. As your grandparents, to plant those seeds within the lives of their children, of their grandchildren. To come and volunteer in our children's ministry to help with that process. To, to start this planting process. That takes place. It can happen in adults too. It can, but I find so often in adults that, that, the, that the challenges of the world, as Jesus was speaking of this parable, the challenges of the world, and the temptations and the burdens and the struggles, it has this tendency to, to, to just solidify that soil. And so often when an adult comes to faith, it happens because something has taken place in their life that has caused them to have more of a soft heart like a child. And that's when the seed can be planted god's grace and of his love for them this rootedness is critical to plant these seeds and to allow them to go in and to start to grow because when that happens then it leads to them being built up when we're built up it's this continued action that is engaged in this is the ongoing part of the of the rootedness leads to a continued act of being built up it also reminds us that all of us are under construction still this is a, a continual act. None of us have fully arrived just because a stem grew out of the ground and has a few leaves on it, maybe one flower. doesn't mean any of us have arrived at full maturity, at full harvest yet. This is an ongoing building up of our lives. Is to remember that we are under construction. We have a foundation. We have roots, but we are still being built up. We have things in our lives that allow us to weather the storms that we've currently gone through with the the challenges of the past. We've survived those thus far, but I can tell you this, if we stop nurturing the seed that was planted and that is growing, if we stop nurturing that, if we stop doing what it takes to have deep roots, they will start to shrink. The ground will start to become shallow, and then the next challenge, you may not be able to endure. It's important to continue being built up in the things of Christ. And when we continue to be built up and see these examples and stories, it leads to us being strengthened in our faith and by faith. As we remember the strength that exists not within ourselves, the strength that exists within the one who is the seed, who is the word that has been sown into us. You see, our strength comes through humbly, consistently trusting and abiding in Christ. He very clearly shared that as one of his final teachings. When, when he said to this, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. This this connection that exists between us and Christ when it has started to grow and it started to flourish. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And he goes on later in that teaching to, to use similar analogies that we see in the parable of the sower about being dried up about blowing away, about falling off, about the lack of fruitfulness. When we get disconnected from Jesus Christ, who is at one time referred to as the seed, now referred to as the vine, we can continue to grow in our faith and understand of who he is. You see, good soil leads to an abundant harvest. And good soil starts by being rooted in Jesus Christ, allowing the word to be planted into us. But then being built up, continuing to nurture and to grow in our understanding and our, and our practice, of that word, being built up on those things, to have examples, therefore, of faith that we can lean upon and be strengthened by. Rooted in Christ, built in Christ, and faith in Christ. So so why does the sower sow? He sows for a harvest. And that's only possible when the seed falls upon a fertile life. and can have deep roots. As I've been speaking about this and describing these different types of soil today, it might be easy to think of a person in your life and go, hey, you know, this person's this type of soil, and, and I know this guy, he, he's definitely he's definitely the hard soil. But I want to challenge you to think about yourself. What, what type of soil are you, is your heart here today? Now, and it changes through different seasons. There may be a season when there was fertile soil and that seed was planted and it grew and that's why you're here today but you know if you're honest with yourself over time it's gotten tough it's gotten hard we've maybe we've slacked off on the effort we haven't tended to the weeds as much as we should have and the soil's changed a bit now what is what's that soil test in your life today maybe you can celebrate and say no it is it is it is still good soil i'm investing i'm growing it's not perfect but you're not talking about perfect soil we're talking about good soil Soil that allows things to grow and to be healthy and to lead to fruitfulness and to a harvest. Or, or maybe you recognize that you have allowed the things of this world to start choking that out a little bit. and It's, it's limiting your experience. It's, it's limiting your ability to understand and believe that life is better with Jesus. Or perhaps you know that you have shallow roots. You know, You know my whole life I've just never really gone deep. I know I've got shallow roots. I know I'm always just one tragedy from falling away. Maybe you know that in yourself. I'm doing okay right now, but boy, tomorrow, tomorrow this whole thing might just dry up in my life. Or perhaps you're honest and you know that you've allowed the enemy to convince you, to make you fearful of what would happen if that seed wasn't stolen, if, if that seed didn't bounce off the surface. If that seed did have the opportunity to sit on that, that hard soil of your heart and just give it opportunity to maybe soften a little bit. Maybe you recognize that that's where you find yourself today. It begins by receiving the soil the, the seed into us, being rooted, built up, and strengthened in him. And, and allow that work to take place. So I want to give you a time, a moment to reflect upon that. As we come to the communion table here today, because this is the place at the communion table where we have this opportunity to respond. Because, like a seed that's sown in each of our lives, who is Jesus Christ, Jesus Himself was sown into the ground for the sake of us all. So, the living Word of God came and dwelt among us, dwelt among us in humanity. He was born. He lived, he taught, he was the example. And, and there from, from Bethlehem's soil, he grew into Sal- Calvary's sequoia, that tree upon which he was hung, that tree upon which he died. And then, then he, was, he was buried again when that work on the cross was accomplished. He was buried again into the ground, into a tomb. But three days later sprang to new life. So that all of us could experience that in our own lives. If, if that's not presently a reality for for yourself, this table is an opportunity to respond to that. To to see on this table before us the symbols of the bread, which is symbolic of Christ's body, and which which dwelt and lived and was offered up as a sacrifice for all people, for the sins of all. We also have here the the cup, symbolic of His blood that was shed, that that blood which gives life. He shed his blood, he shed his life that we could receive life. If you've not allowed that seed, that good news that we can be forgiven, that we can be in eternal relationship with the Father forever, if you've not allowed that seed to be planted into your life, you can do so today in this moment of reflection. Following the service, there'll be people here who can pray with you and talk to you more about that. Or perhaps you know that there's there's a, a part of a different soil taking place in your life today and we just need a moment of reflection to confess that, to acknowledge it. And to take steps to to return to that soft, healthy soil of our lives once again. So I want to give you a moment to reflect upon that where you may find yourselves today. As we prepare to receive these elements, then I'll ask Eslin if he would pray for the bread.